When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Comedian Jim Norton cracks up the DC Improv from April 14th through 16th in the nation's capital. We spoke about his successful comedy career from the Opie and Anthony radio show to Tough Crowd with Colin Quinn and his current gig co-hosting the podcast UFC Unfiltered. Jim Norton, thanks so much for joining us here on WTOP. Hey, man, thank you for having me. Now, uh, you, we're talking because you're coming to the legendary spot, the DC Improv from April 14th through the 16th. Uh, I'm sure uh, DC Improv is, is old hat to you, right? You've had many, how many times you played there over the year? Probably too many to count. Yeah, I don't know. I've done, I've done it quite a few times. And it's one of those clubs where, you know, the longer you do stand up, the more you hate clubs and you just want to do small theaters or, or big theaters if you can. But uh, the DC Improv is one of those clubs that you always want to do. Like, you, you don't ever get to a point in your career where you don't want to do the DC Improv. It's an amazing room. Yeah, it really, really is. And we're going to be lucky to, to see you because you've been so hilarious for so long Thank at you. this point. Um, what, what sort of stuff are we going to hear in this show? Obviously, I never it's always hard talking to comedians for these interviews because we don't want to bury any of their jokes or their punchlines. But I guess talking general terms, like topics wise, what sort of stuff we get into? Well, mostly, I mean, obviously I'm covering what happened in COVID, um, my life, my personal life updates. Uh, it's a totally new hour from when I was there the last time, my relationship updates. Um, you know, I always try to bring a new hour every time I come around or at least a new 45 minutes. So yeah, but there, there's, there's enough about COVID vaccinations and uh, how much I hate everybody. Um, and there's a lot of death in this, uh, in this set, a lot of me wishing death on people. It feels great. <laughs> now, 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 uh, what do you mean how much you hate everybody? <laughs> you mean in a in a political town like D.C. or just in general? Everyone's lost their damn minds. Everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Not just political town. It's it's I, I can't even read comments anymore on social media because reading people's comments uh, under video posts, it just makes me hate them all, which it really is. The, the, the greatest part of this is, is I've kind of. I don't uh, have any particular feeling for conservatives or liberals. I, I just find them equally repulsive. And um, that's kind of the, where the act is geared at, is I'm attacking the people underneath the ideologies. And that's and that's smart for you, sir, because, yeah, you can't you can't take a side if you want to sell tickets. <laughs> well, honestly, no, no, you, it's funny. I think you actually sell more tickets if you take a side because people have become so much they, they want to hear their opinion uh, validated or they want to laugh with someone who agrees with them. And I think not necessarily taking a side seems like you're afraid to take a side, but it's not true. I just have zero respect for either side. It's a lack of respect. I have it. It's, it's a, a disdain. It's not a, a, a fear of taking a stand. 
Right, right. Exactly. Well, I think a lot of Americans will probably agree with you on, on I hope. throwing up their hands a lot of times. Cool. Well, remind our listeners um, sort of uh, your journey, how you got into this stand up racket to begin with. I know you were you were born and you know raised in New Jersey, born in what, 68. Who, who were your sort of stand up idols that, you know, back as a, as a young tyke? I, I was a kid. I mean, my mother worked at, I mean, obviously Richard Pryor and George Carlin. And my mother worked at a library. My mother's a librarian and she would bring me home Woody Allen stand-up records. So I think Woody Allen is probably, him and Robert Klein are the two most underrated stand-ups of all time. But I would say those four, Pryor, Carlin, Woody, and, and Robert Klein were my four idols growing up as far as being stand-ups are concerned. Absolutely. It's f- so funny. We have people come on and, you know, people cite, like yourself, cite Woody Allen, other people cite Cosby. And it's just so bizarre hearing those names in hindsight after all the controversy today. But, the, you know, at the time, yeah. they were big they were big forces in comedy. Yes, absolutely. And of course, now, you know, I like those guys more now. I mean, how could you not? I mean, they've been so much fun in the news the last few years. Yeah, as a comedian, stuff to riff on. Um, well, <laughs> yeah, no, I don't care about private life stuff. Like, it's really weird. Like, obviously, they've been accused of some horrible things. But I mean, I try not to get too bogged down because for every person I love, I know that there are things that would make me dislike them if I knew it. Maybe not monstrous or illegal things, but in some cases, those things. So I try not to care too much about people's failings. Um, you know, I, I just try to enjoy their work or dislike their work based on whatever it is I they're, they're on the material. Right, right. Well, how did you actually get discovered yourself? You know, we're talking about the, the stand-up comedy people, you know, the the legends of stand-up comedy that, that inspired you. But how did you yourself get in? Wasn't it Andrew Dice Clay? Didn't he give you your big break? Yeah, I was seven years in and I met Dice and he took me on the road with him for three years. And it makes you so much of a better comic going up in front of very tough because they were very pro Dice audiences. They didn't give a crap about me. Um, so Dice did a lot for me and Dice would always talk me up to local radio guys. Dice is the one who brought me on to Opie and Anthony and kind of got me in there. And those guys treated me a little better because back then they were scared of Dice. So I, I give Dice's, I, I think, uh, changed my, my life completely. And then Opie and Anthony obviously took my career to the next level and changed my life again. But, uh, Andrew was the first one. Who, uh, who did that for me. He, he, he did a, a tremendous amount for me. I, I'm, I had more fun on the road opening for him probably than I have doing anything in my career. Oh, for sure. And, and, uh, and, and just to remind, if, if there's maybe some of our younger listeners, hard to believe, but you know, if they didn't know who Opie and Anthony was, remind them just sort of how big of a deal that radio show was. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is hard. It, it, was a, it was on regular radio for a long time. And, you know, it, it was very uh, push the envelope. I hate to say that. That's, you know, something my aunt would say. But I mean, it was, uh, we got in a lot of trouble. Let's just say that on regular radio. And then satellite radio came along. And it was a, a really a, a, a hilarious show. There was a lot of really mean, vicious jokes on it. There were great comedians coming through, uh, you know, Bill Burr and Patrice, of course, and Colin and Bobby Kelly and Voss. And there were so many great comics came through those doors. And, um, you know, you just come in there and you'd sit for hours and uh, Rogan and, and all these great uh, powerful forces in the in the business really let it uh, all hang out on Opie and Anthony. It, it's uh, I, I think it's the funniest radio show of all time. I truly believe that. So we've we've well, other than when you're coming on with me. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. 
no, no. Uh, but all right. So we've, yeah, we've mentioned, you know, Open Anthony, Andrew Dice Clay. But of course, when I hear Jim Norton, the name that comes to my mind, this might be just when I grew up and the TV Comedy Central stuff I was watching. But man, I always think of Tough Crowd with Colin Quinn. I thought your stuff on that show was just so hilarious. Uh, just memories of working with Colin on, on that thing. Thank you so much. Uh, it's one of my favorite things that I ever did. It's funny. I saw Colin last night. I still see Colin four or five nights a week at the Comedy Cellar. Um, and uh, yeah, he's one of my closest friends. And, and that show, the thing that was so good about that show is it was almost, it had the same energy as an Opie and Anthony show, which is it was more structured in that Colin was the lead and you were talking about topics of the day and you knew what you're going to be talking about. But the fact that we would just always kind of just kind of, you know, fall apart into yelling at each other or insulting each other, um, you know, and, and we did it before a lot of other uh, shows. There was no podcasting back then. Um, and I love the fact that everybody missed the point or a lot of people missed the point of that show. And they were like, oh, you guys are just insulting each other. But it's like, no, dummy. The point of the show is that we were friends discussing these topics. The topics were never the point of the show. The point of the show is that we were all friends and this is how we were gonna talk about these things. Um, and the relationships that we had from the Comedy Cellar uh, and the way we would treat each other there is exactly how we treated each other on Tough Crowd. So I think that people got to see comedians in this light where we were just being very honest with each other and you could see that when we bombed, we were comfortable with it. Uh, we acknowledged and made fun of each other's bombs. So I think this show really, um, a lot, a lot of young comics always makes me feel good when they tell me how much that show meant to them. And we definitely did not realize it at the time. Well, it can, it's so true. It, can, it came across as, you know, I didn't think you guys were being, you know, mean to each other. It, it, to me, it came across how you guys, if you were all sitting around at a pool hall or, like, or a living room, how you probably would rag on each other anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that was how we interacted. And, um, you know, again, you always need a little distance before you... You know, I can't believe the show. We, we started writing the show. We started conceptualizing the show almost 20 years ago. It was, um, it was August of, uh, no, it was uh, November or, or October of 2002 is when we first started getting ready to shoot the pilot episodes. We shot six pilot episodes or, or eight episodes in the first run before it got picked up. And um, you, know, you have no idea that it's going to be this thing that we went off the air at the end of 2003. That show has been off the air for over 18 years. And more people talk to me about that than anything else on television that I've done. Um, it, it, it's just the fact that it never got brought back or the fact that we nowhere else found a place to do it is just completely crazy. Although it'd be hard to do now with Greg dead and Patrice being dead. You know, it wouldn't be the same. Yeah, it, it wouldn't be the same. Um, I know in addition to the comedy stuff, you've been a, a huge voice um, with, with UFC stuff. I, you did the with Matt Sarah. I know you guys sure. did. Do you still do UFC Unfiltered? The yeah, yeah, podcast? twice a week. I'm actually taping it later today. I tape every Monday and Wednesday, yeah. Well, talk, just talk about how UFC, uh, I mean, you mentioned Rogan earlier too, but talk about how you, UFC has sort of been this, um, I mean, man, I mean, back, I mean, for instance, back when Tough Crowd was going on, right? Like UFC, I remember UFC was just getting going with Ken Shamrock, et cetera. But, you know, you had your, you know, rock and stone cold. WWF was more the thing. And then you, over the last 25 years, UFC has just dwarfed pro wrestling, boxing. It's dwarfed everything and uh, provided a, a platform where com a lot of comedians and, and showbiz folks have sort of hitched their wagons to this monster <laughs> of an industry. Yeah. I, it's funny, Patrice watched it back then. I didn't watch it way back in the old days. He was on board with UFC way before I was. But it's crazy to see 
how during the pandemic even, they built Fight Island and they did fights almost every week for a while in, in front of nobody. So they kind of kept it going. They kept the rivalries going. They kept people interested. They kept breaking new fighters uh, and doing things like Tough, the Ultimate Fighter, or uh, Dana White. Uh, Dana White's looking for a fight. Dana White's Contender Series. All of these shows that are bringing, they get you interested in the young talent too, which is another reason that the UFC keeps getting bigger is because you're invested in these guys when they're really young, because you're watching them either come up through one of Dana's shows or through the ultimate fighter. So I, I think that UFC, and here's another reason that the UFC has gone from where it's gone to the, the behemoth it is now is because they don't, they don't mess you around when you want a good fight. They try really hard to make the fights happen that you want to see which again, that's the advantage of having being all under one promotional umbrella, but they are really good at getting the rivalries that you want uh, and getting those guys together for a fight. So, uh, you know, UFC is very fan friendly. Um, again, I've been around Dana many, many times and he's always stopping for photos. The fighters are always stopping for photos. They're always taking pictures with the fans. Uh, they're much more down to earth than any other professional athletes I've ever known. So I think that's a big part of it too, because when you see, they, they just, you love these guys and you want to watch them. Uh, you want to watch them fight. And it all comes, I think, from Dana, because uh, it all rolls downhill. And the way he treats the fans is the way they all treat the fans. Do you think, uh, do, do, will, will, will boxing, you know, old school boxing ever make a comeback off the mat? Or do you think it's down and out for the count? Do you think UFC just landed an uppercut under the chin that it, that it, I mean, we talked to Teddy Atlas about this a couple, like last year, but like, yeah, it's, it's, I, I, I just don't know how boxing would ever supplant what UFC has been able to do. Well, the problem with boxing, besides the fact that there's 600 promotions and the judging is historically so disgusting. And there's, there's, it's been, the, the corruption has been tied into it so much. It's almost like it just goes without saying that people believe there's corruption there, whether there's not. Um, and boxing is terrible at usually giving you fights that you want. Um, I mean, I don't think it will ever go away. I think boxing is always going to be big because it's such an amazing skill to have. Oh, I, love I mean, it. a good boxer, no matter how good of a UFC fighter you are, if you're fighting a professional boxer um, on equal ground with the same size gloves and, and, and only boxing, I mean, the boxer has the advantage almost every time. But I think the reason that UFC is going to stay where it is is because no matter how good of a boxer you are, there's always the asterisk. It's like, you know, when one of these guys does steroids and goes into the hall, there's always the asterisk of, well, I mean, if he fought in a cage against a, an MMA fighter, he'd get, he'd get his ass kicked. Like, I think that's the asterisk that goes, whereas boxing, those guys were always the toughest guys on the planet, but then you put any of them in a mixed martial arts setting and you know they're gonna get mauled. Um, so I think that that's always what's gonna kind of keep UFC, at least in my mind, ahead of boxing. Yeah, I think they would do, but they would, they could do so much better if, like you said, if they didn't have so many promotions and so many, there's so many different belts and different, you know, uh, uh, WBC, WBA, and then you add all the weight classes. It's like for a casual fan, it's like impossible to follow who, who's the top dog. But um, yeah. in, in, in UFC, I mean, I guess you have your weight classes there too, but um, sure. it's, I don't know, the storylines are a little easier to follow in terms of the, the fighters and giving the fights that you, that you want, like you said. But in your opinion, of all the people you've been covering and all the fighters of UFC over the years on your podcast, et cetera, who would, who would you think is the, it's almost impossible question, but who's like the most badass fighter that you think has ever graced the UFC ring? 
I mean, it's really difficult to say that because a lot of these guys by badass are, you know, like uh, Habib is uh, 29 and 0 and he's a badass, but in real life, he's a humble, nice man. Um, and then, you know, you get guys like Sean Strickland, who I believe are as, as dangerous outside the cage as they are in, or guys like Mike Perry are extremely tough guys in and out of the cage. So there's so many personalities that make it up. It's hard to say because you usually have to go with a heavyweight, right? Because the heavyweights can can beat everybody in the lower classes usually. Well, what about pound uh, for pound though? You know, like pound for pound. I, right now, <laughs> I might even give it to Kamara Usman uh, because John Jones hasn't really fought much. Um, Habib at 29 and 0 undefeated. It's kind of hard to go against him. Um, Amanda Nunes did just lose, but I mean, Amanda uh, really mauled everybody else. Uh, and even people that thought she was going to lose to very, very tough question. I couldn't pick a best right now. I would give it to Kamara Usman. I, I would take Usman as the best pound for pound fighter because he's been defending the belt, uh, against really, really <coughs> ferocious guys. Um, but very, very tough. Uh, Adesanya, you can't, uh, you can't write off Israel Adesanya. I mean, um, he's only lost one fight, and that was when he went up a weight class to fight uh, Blahovich for the light heavyweight belt. So, yeah, very, very tough call, man. I could never do it. I would just say uh, Usman right now because I feel he's the best, but it could change. You know, if John Jones comes back and fights three times and wins, then you got to go, probably go back to John Jones. Awesome. Well, I'm just, I love the, you know, your, your, your flexibility, your uh, the versatility to talk sports fights, you know, and, and also stand up comedy. And what, what else does Jim Norton let, you know, like what, what are your, what are your like TV shows or movies that, you know, what, that you always come back to? I, I hate when people ask me, you know, what, what my favorite is. It's almost impossible, but um, you know, just anything that comes to mind, uh, you know, are, are, what's your, what's your, what's your go-tos? 90 day fiance. I, I'm a hen. I'm a hen. <laughs> I like 90 day fiance. And I also, I like documentaries. Like I just watched that thing, Bad Vegan, um, you know, or that uh, Inventing Anna. I typically don't like docudramas, but that was okay. I like mostly documentary style stuff now because I get very bored watching TV shows and the plot lines are cheesy. Like I can't really watch Succession. Um, I acknowledge they're all really talented actors, but I just, like, ugh, it just feels so cheesy to me. So mostly, uh, I would say mostly just documentaries just because the writing in, in most shows bugs me. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. How about movies? Do you have any old cl a classic movie or, or something from your childhood that either a comedy or otherwise? I mean, one of the cuckoo's nest obviously is, a, is, is probably my favorite. Um, hard to say though, because then someday I'll tell you the Godfather other days, I'll tell you dog day afternoon. Um, you know, if I've had a relationship and I'll say raging bull, like, you know, it really depends on, uh, on the day. Uh, I'm, I'm, I can't pin it down. It's between one of like seven films. Well, you named four classics for sure. Yeah. Um, well, awesome, man. Well, we appreciate you, you joining us and making the time for us. Is there, in addition to the DC Improv show, you know, in final seconds, is there anything else you want to plug? Any? I know you've done some specials on what? Netflix and Vice and Netflix, Netflix HBO. Epics, yeah. Um, um, I have a couple of things up on Netflix right now. And uh, one of my old specials is on HBO and, you know, epics. Yeah. There's my, my crap is all over. You know, you, you can find it. It's out there. Just jimnorton.com. If you want to get details of where I'm going to be. 
the crap is all over and (laughs) (laughs) but most pressingly he's going to most urgent crap he's he's gonna he's gonna crap on us at dc improv uh april 14th through the 16th so get your tickets now at dcimprov.com yep jim norton thanks so much for for coming into the ufc ring with us today (laughs) happy to do it man thanks so much all right catch you later all right bye I also spoke to Jim Norton a previous time when he played the DC Improv back in 2018. Jim, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Hey, thanks, buddy. Um, now, how, how long do you go back to the DC Improv? Have you been going there for years? Yeah, I don't know how long. It's been a long time. It's like it's one of those clubs that, you know, like if you bomb at the DC Improv, you should really get out of the business because you stink. Like, <laughs> it's just one of those. It's an amazing room. So every comic uh, loves working. It's actually, it's not the easiest room to get booked in because everybody works there. So their availability, you have to book it pretty far in advance. Um, but I, I probably, I've been mean, over 10 years, maybe 15 years. Gotcha, gotcha. What is it about, I mean, is, does the D.C. Uh, comedy crowd have a different vibe than, let's say, like a, a New York or a Chicago? Like, what, are, is it a little more high-minded, cultured, or can we get down in the dirt, too? Both. You know, people that are coming to see me, uh, anyone that's coming to see me is kind of garbage. So, you know, they're the same everywhere. Like, I attract the same people in Boston that I attract in North Carolina that I attract in San Francisco. So, you know. People like to, uh, you know, if they like what I do, they'll come see me. If they don't, they won't. You know, D.C. is no different. Get a lot of people from Virginia coming in. You know, it's not just people from the Beltway, as they say. Right, right, right. Well, and, and I know we, and I don't want to like burn any of your good, you know, your your material or anything. But uh, just, I guess maybe give us a hint of like what sort of topics are we going to talk about? Is it is it political or, or you know, give us at least a, a taste of sort of the, you know the topics you might go into. Sure, sure. I'm covering everything. A mouthful of shame was a year ago. My last special. And I covered, uh, you know, it's a totally different hour. None of the material is the same. You know, my own uh, dating and sexual uh, updates. Uh, <laughs> of course, I talk about the Me Too movement. I talk about, uh, you know, the president and politics and dating. And, you know, it just kind of covered everything that's happened in the last year since my special came out. Absolutely. Um, I'm trying to remember when I remember even first becoming aware of you. I know it was probably, I mean, maybe it was with Tough Crowd with Colin Quinn. I freaking love that show. Um, <laughs> do you have uh, memories of working on that show? And uh, I, I would love if they could somehow bring that back. I thought it was hilarious. You know, it's funny, man. So many people have said that, and I, I thank you for it. Colin, I know, always appreciates that. Uh, my, my memories of Tough Crowd are how much joy Colin would take when one of us would bomb like that was to me the most fun of that show was that it was showing comedy in a really honest way like there's nights that we were really funny and great and other nights that we kind of stunk or the jokes were weak and you were just seeing it for what it was and that it wasn't polished garbage like polished is nice but it gets a little bit boring just seeing polished guys do polished you know this was a right. bunch of people uh, pre-writing some jokes, riffing other jokes, making fun of each other, making fun of uh, news and the world. It, it was a show, man, and, and it was, they would never allow us to do that today because of the subject matters we hit. We used to get complaints even back then, and that's 2003 and four. So today, that show would be very, very hard to do. And in all honesty, I mean, you know, Colin is doing okay. He had his heart attack, but he's on the mend. I'm around, and DePaulo's around, and Keith Robinson... Uh, He's had a stroke, so he's a little, uh, he's still really funny, but he's slowed up a little bit. And, of course, Geraldo and Patrice are, are, are dead. It would be a very hard show to do because so much of the spirit of the show wouldn't be there. Absolutely. Yeah, well, and speaking of uh, Colin's uh, recent uh, medical issue, I'm glad that he is. It does sound like he's on the mend, so that's great. Um, is, is it true that you Yeah, uh, Colin is too young. Colin is too young to die. 
And Colin has a lot more people to make unhappy. Like, that's what Colin, like, he, he's got another 30 years of making people unhappy and bothering people. So, yeah, he's not going anywhere. His work is not finished. <laughs> no. no. And he's such a brilliant comedian. It makes me sick to say that, but he really is. Absolutely. Is it, is it true that uh, uh, it was, it was Andrew, the Dice Man, Andrew Dice Clay, was, was he was pivotal in, in uh, helping bring you to the forefront, wasn't he? I love Dice. Yeah, he changed my life. He, um, he's the guy that brought me to Opie and Anthony, and then I started going on there a little bit. And uh, Opie's actually the one that told me to come in and, uh, hey, we'll get you some money. And then, uh, you know, years later, I mean, Anthony and I were always friendly, but we, we really bonded a few years later, too. So, you know, it was, uh, it's an interesting ride. But, yeah, Dice started so much of it for me, man. I, I'm forever loyal to Dice. Yeah, I remember that that persona, Dice Man, would would just you know it, it, I don't know. I mean, nowadays everything's you know the the phrase is all you know politically correct, which I, it's like a loaded phrase now anyway. So I hate using it, but you know what I mean. Like he would he would venture into some pretty dicey places. Like is that is that brand of comedy um, on its way out, or or do, or do you ever fear that that we're becoming a little too you know afraid to go certain places? No, I mean there's always been things to push against. You know, like Dice. Uh, the, political correctness kind of started when he popped up because people were so mad at what he was saying and they were so mad that people were responding to it. It's like, it's just a dumb comedian making jokes. Who cares? Um, you know, but, but he was actually just, it's funny. He's not a tough guy. Like he, he's like, he's a silly guy. Dice is a silly dude. Like Dice likes goofing off and making his dumb friends laugh. Uh, he likes to be mothered. That's my favorite part of Dice is he's got this tough guy persona, but then he complains, like, I got a sore throat. He wants tea with honey. You know, he likes to be treated like a giant baby. He likes to be mothered. He likes a big, cushy sweatshirt. He likes massages. Like, he's so not like that, which is what always made me laugh about it. Nice. Now, who did who exactly, I mean, the, he was pivotal in your career, but who were, who did you enjoy watching, you know, when you were young, like just starting out in the business, or even before you even thought you would be a stand-up? When I was a kid, Richard Pryor, George Carlin, Robert Klein, the most underrated comedian of all time. Was he the one where it's like starting the car? Please don't start to start me. Please don't try to start me. Leave me alone. I think that's Robert uh, Klein. Oh, I don't. You know what? I don't know. Oh, you gotta it look may that. Have been. Google it after you get off here. You'll be crying. He he does a thing where he takes the persona of a cold car trying to start, and it's hysterical. Are you sure that's not Bob Newhart? <laughs> I thought. <laughs> well, maybe he got it from. Him. I thought it was Robert Klein. Anyway, can, uh, you can, might be right. Continue. He, continue. He's a comic genius. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Rodney and, of course, like Joan Rivers, I always thought was really underrated. Mm -hmm. I used to tape them off The Tonight Show and then just do their acts to myself. So, yeah, I knew what I wanted to do my whole life. All I ever wanted to do was stand up. Awesome. And then uh, when, where, where did you actually start getting into it? Give us a sense of how you actually finally, uh, you know, the, do you remember your first time out on stage? Did you bomb? Oh, boy. You know, I got a few laughs. The weirdest part was hearing your voice projected back at you over a <laughs> microphone. That was odd, like over, over a PA system. Um, I got a couple of laughs, but it was also, you're so used to the cadence with your friends. Hey, look at her. And then you say something stupid and they laugh. So walking on stage and being filthy, and I was filthy. <laughs> and then hearing silence was really, really unsettling. Yeah, but that was odd. <laughs> um, yeah, when you were bombing in the old days. But I'll tell you what else was amazing, getting a laugh. When you got a laugh from an audience, you could not believe that you had just heard that sound. So, yeah, I mean, both things were jarring. Any reaction was jarring. Absolutely. And I know, when, when did, how did you actually get into Opie and Anthony? I mean, you said, that, I mean, they ran, when did you guys run? You had like a 15-year run or something. Well, Dice um, brought me on in 2000, and then Opie got me hired. So I worked with them until 2002 when we got, uh, you know, cut uh, the show got uh, canceled because of the sex for Sam. 
And then we came back on satellite October 2004, and Anthony got fired July of 2014. So we had a decade there. And then Opie and I continued for two more years, but we stopped getting along. So, uh, and then I did my show with Sam now, and Opie was doing his show, but uh, he was fired uh, earlier this year. What ha- you, uh, you said you guys stopped getting along. What happened? You know, man, whenever you're in a creative, the, once the Opie and Anthony show blew up, it's kind of hard for, you know, because Anthony and I always had great chemistry. Anthony and Opie had great chemistry. Me and Opie had okay chemistry. Right. You know what I mean? So we were the last two guys that should have done the show. Anthony and Opie together uh, did a really good show. And I think me and Anthony together would have done a really good show. But me and Opie together just weren't meant to do a show. So creatively, when you're collaborating, you know how it is. It's hard. So uh, whatever. We, we both just had issues with each other. And, uh, you know, we stopped getting along and stopped seeing eye to eye. And he was still technically my boss. And I really resented that. And <laughs> he could tell I wasn't having fun. And he resented that. So we just started to resent each other. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, uh, I know now you're doing a, a podcast on, on UFC uh, with Matt Serra, uh, UFC Unfiltered. How long, how long have you guys been doing that, and how, how's that sort of, sort of grown? It's amazing. Dude. I almost, I'm actually leaving here in a couple of minutes to tape that today. <laughs> uh, we have the, uh, uh, the, the uh, women's uh, uh, strawweight champion calling in. It's, a, it's a fun to do because I'm, I'm not a UFC expert. I'm a UFC fan, and I'm friends with Matt, and I'm friends with Dana. And Matt is Matt Serra. You know, he's a legend. So the fact that he knows everything about the fighter, and I'm the fan, it kind of works out really well. It's like the fighter and the kid were doing it before we were doing it. Uh, Brian and Brandon, they do a great show. And, you know, it's like one guy, although Brian is more knowledgeable as a non-fighter than I am because Brian took it. So those guys know more. Both of those guys know more than me, and Matt knows more than me. So of the four, I'm the least knowledgeable. Awesome. Well, we'll steal a phrase from that, and because uh, I know you got to tape your other one, so I'm going to tap out and let you go over and do that. Um, but uh, I guess just in closing, why should our listeners come out to, to the improv? Because you have nothing better to do. <laughs> That's for damn sure. All right. Thanks yeah, so much. No, it's, it's a good show. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, thanks for joining us. All right, bye. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.